Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this week of Tits Up. I am Megan, and I am joined, of course, by my fabulous co-host, Sam. And today, we have an incredible human being that is coming on today. Her name is Kiara. Kiara, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So Kiara is going to talk to us today primarily about having a stage four diagnosis um, and what that looks like. But we have a lot of things that we want to cover with you today. Um, so again, thank you for being on and taking the time. I know that this is this is a lot <laughs> to put into your work. Oh, no, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, you... I, I want you to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, but first, let's talk about the nonprofit just real quick that you um, that you've introduced us to, and we're going to have for our listeners, we're going to have a whole episode with them. But let's talk real quick about Be Present. Yeah, absolutely. So Be Present is an organization that was started by um, the mother of a adolescent, I guess, young adult at that point, um, who passed away from cancer. And the whole idea is to help supporters of those with cancer um, better support their friend or sibling or child or whatever that may be, right? Um, so Abby, our CEO, noticed, you know, when her daughter was going through cancer, people didn't know what to say. People were being really insensitive. You know, people were, oh, don't you dare play the cancer card and just horrible things, right? And so Abby is uh, one of the best humans I know. She created this org along with Kirsten, her daughter, her late daughter's best friends, Um in order to really help fill that gap. And so um, I joined, gosh, almost two years ago now, I think. It's been a while. Um, and I help with content and just whatever else is needed. I think I'm the only one on the team with active cancer. So try and give a voice of the patient on the team. Um, but it's a really awesome organization. I remember when I was first diagnosed, one of my best friends said to me like, there's no girlfriend's guide to like your friend getting cancer. And that really hit home for me because it's true. There's a million nonprofits that do chemo care kits and, you know, um, financial aid and all of these different things. And of course, those are all so important. But I think a lot of times we forget about the caregiver and the supporter and the people who are there kind of, you know, on the fringes experiencing it with you and what kind of support that they need. Well, I I'm obsessed with this whole this whole idea of be present. Um, you know, I remember watching my husband take care of me and I remember like looking up, you know, is there a is there a support group for spouses going through this, you know, like they're experiencing trauma right along with us. You know, and so often they can't do anything about it other than, you know, 
clean our wounds <laughs> in, in my case with Absolutely. my husband like wipe my ass you know like empty our drain right <laughs> right right I often say like the job of the caregiver is harder than the job of the patient because the job of the patient, you've got a schedule and you show up where you got to be. You've got someone shuttling you there. And obviously people come from different backgrounds. They have different, um, you know, resources. Some have more than others, of course. And I don't want to discount that. But when you think about the caregiver, there is no guidebook for this, right? There's no way for them to know, are they doing a good job? Are they doing a bad job? Do they have the support that they need? Can they talk about this with other people? All of that stuff just doesn't exist for them. And that's a huge gap. I 100% agree. And I I was thrilled when we figured out Be Present. And I cannot wait to have some other people, like you again, and also maybe some other people from the organization to talk to our listeners about this. I think that will be so incredibly helpful. And it's going to kind of get us started on this theme, maybe every six to eight weeks of having an episode primarily geared towards the caregiver. Um, you know, cause it's, it's not helpful as the patient to be worried about your spouse who is worried about you. And it then just becomes this chicken or the egg situation. And I keep saying spouse, but I love what your friend said, which is like a girlfriend's guide, to my friend having cancer and right and that's a lot of what be present does right is not the i mean of course we support caregivers too but a lot of the content that we put out is surrounding like the friends and the people who might be like one circle removed from that person and and not quite as close co-workers are a great example because like a lot of us i'm working full-time i've taken maybe like five cancer related days off since i got my diagnosis like i'm around these people all of the time and clearly nobody knows what to say to me sometimes right yeah and so um I think that's a lot of what we focus on too is just finding a way to to help bridge that gap I love it thank thank you for laying that out for our listeners it gives them just a little teaser of something to come here in the future um so let's redirect I want to talk to you about you (laughs) um what we usually do is we ask our guests to kind of introduce themselves by way of their diagnosis. So I'll hand it over to you. You tell our listeners about yourself just as a human being in general, and then also about your diagnosis. Absolutely. So I'm Kiara. Um, I am 30. I live in Northern California um, with my dog and my fiance. Um, and yeah, I was, when I was 26, I found a lump in my breast. I went to my PCP right away. I, um, you know, she said, oh, it's so small. It's probably nothing, but we'll refer you to radiology just in case. Went to radiology. The radiologist said, there's absolutely no way this is breast cancer. You're way too young. This is just a cyst. It's only three millimeters. You shouldn't even be able to feel it. I don't know why you're here. I mean, the tirade that this man went on. But then at the end, it was, okay, but if it starts to hurt, come back and we'll drain it. And so when I was 27, like a year to the date almost, um, I it was starting to hurt a lot more. And this by this point, it was covid um, it was starting to hurt, right? 
Yep. And so it had been hurting for a couple months. Finally can go in like almost a year to the date. And this time it was totally different. My PCP was like, oh, this is really large and like hard and immovable and abnormal. Like we need to get you to radiology stat. And I went to radiology again and I had a different radiologist this time who like I'll never forget being in that room and the tech is just silent like I get anxious in appointments if nobody's talking like I want to joke around I want to talk about dumb stuff Mm -hmm. um just get my mind off this and I kept trying and she was just silent and like I could see on her face that something was up Um, and then the radiologist comes in the room. He's talking about my shoes. He's talking about what I did on the weekend. I'm like, bro, there's a global pandemic. Like, can we just get (laughs) to the point here? Um, and, (laughs) and finally he says, look, this isn't a cyst and I would bet money that it's breast cancer. But even then, you know, and his whole team was incredible. They all skipped their lunches so that they could biopsy me on the spot. Um, I didn't have any food because I thought it was going to be a quick 30-minute appointment that turned out to be several hours. And I mentioned that, and one of the ladies behind the desk was like, I just had this feeling that I was supposed to bring this banana and granola bar today to work. I didn't want it. Um please take it. And, you know, like gave me a bite to eat. Like everyone was so, so kind, but even still it was like, you know, you're so young. We caught this early. We're going to be like, you're going to be fine. We're going to be able to treat you. And every doctor I saw since then was giving me that same story of like, you're young, you're going to be fine. Except for my medical oncologist who said like, we, I can't tell you anything prognosis wise until we get the CT scan. Well, sure enough, CT scan comes through and there's cancer in just about every bone of my body. And so by that point, and I don't have a family history of cancer. I haven't known anyone close to me with cancer. I didn't know anything about it. And so she told me like, yeah, you're stage four. And I was like, okay, but it's stage four. Like we caught stage four early. So I'm still curable, right? Like I had zero context for what this means. Like Google told me I was terminally ill because I Googled like prognosis for um, stage four breast cancer. And it was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now, right? Like, as I'm on my way for my echocardiogram that I get this phone number and it's, or this phone call from my medical oncologist. And so, yeah. Um, anyways, that was how I got diagnosed. Um, I am three and a half-ish years out from my original diagnosis. I'm on, I guess, second line of treatment, which I had radiation in between there. So maybe third line. Um, so far, everything is theoretically going well, though um, treatment is just hellish, as I think we all know. I'm sure even some of your early stage uh, listeners can relate to the struggles of Virginio that uh, I have been going through recently. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. My job and my entire mindset has always been very like, okay, how do we get to the end result that we want, right? And so it was just like, I didn't have emotions in the beginning. Like it was just like, okay, where do I need to be? What do I need to do? And just move forward on it. And, you know, initial emotions, it was just like pretty empty. Um, 
I think I did a really good job of like kind of bearing it and being in denial as well because I didn't think that it served me to just be like a sobbing mess at the doctor like I needed to have my wits about me and somehow I found a way to to do that um through treatment but I always talk about this moment I started watching Schitt's Creek um after I was diagnosed my aunt was like this show brought me a lot of comfort during the pandemic. I It might bring you some too. And I started watching it. And there's that episode where um, Stevie is performing in the, um, the musical and Moira says something about uh, David getting engaged and like how, you know, Stevie might uh, feel about that and things like that. And she says, I'm just sick of watching everything happen from behind the desk. And watching that episode was all of a sudden, like, I felt like I was watching all my friends buy houses, have kids, do all of these things that I wanted to do while I was stuck behind this metaphorical cancer desk that was never going to move. I didn't have any agency in being able to move that out of my way. And that was when I kind of started going into, like, just this depressive episode um went into this depressive episode of just like wow this is this desk quote unquote is separating me from my peers and I'm never gonna be able to change that oh well has that changed at all Kiara um well I did um so I was single when I was diagnosed and one thing that I really mourned at that time was like the idea of finding a partner because it was like okay who's going to want someone who's like terminally ill and only has like a 22% chance of surviving the next 5 years but I've always like imagined myself married etc anyways long story short I have a lovely fiance who we met um while I was sick through friends um, um, and yeah, so I get to, to live that part of, um, the life that I wanted. And I think I have a different outlook on it now. Like I've kind of seen, you know, friends go through miscarriages and issues in their marriages and starting to see that like, okay, maybe I have this quote unquote desk in between me and you, but everyone's got their stuff. And like, just cause I'm watching them in this highlight reel do all of these things that I wanted to do doesn't mean that it's all fantastic and I'm in a place where I feel really happy with where I'm at there are so many times where David and I sit down on the couch at the end of the day and I'm like I'm living the life I always dreamed I would have you know I'm sitting here in a cute ass house like a 15 minute walk to the beach with my dog and the person I love most in the world like you know, it, yeah, I could be healthier. It would be nice not to be um, violently pooping all of the time. But, you know, everyone's got their stuff. <laughs> Good Lord. How uh, my brain keeps going back to the doctor that originally told you that nothing is happening here. I mean, it's it's a tale as old as time when it comes to like young breast cancer patients. We've all heard this. Um, what, did anything ever happen with him? Did anybody ever <laughs> call him out? So, like, <laughs> uh, 
So after I had my breast MRI, once I was diagnosed, um, they found a little spot. So my original diagnosis was on the right side, but the MRI found a little spot on the left side. So I had to go in and have that biopsied. It was biopsied by the doctor who diagnosed me, but then he went on vacation. So who had to call me with the results? Um, the other doctor who had misdiagnosed me and dismissed me. And this man, like... I, he just got on the phone and was like, yeah, so it's cancer. And I was like, okay, is it her too? Like by this point I had educated myself. Right. So it was like, is it her too positive? Is it hormone positive? Like he was like, oh, your surgeon will tell you more. Your surgeon will tell me, tell you more. And like every question I asked, it was like, your surgeon will tell you more. Okay. I gotta go. And like got off the phone so fast. And I don't know if he remembers me, but part of me thinks that maybe he was trying to get off the phone that fast, but it's also like, It's a really, like, I know we're going to talk about self-advocacy here in a little bit, but it's a really scary thing because my mom at the time worked at the same health organization. And when I was talking to, she's a medical assistant. When I was talking to the provider that she worked under, I was kind of telling her about, you know, here's what happened. And she said, oh, let me guess. It was Dr. XYZ. So like, this is a known thing. You know who you are, doc. You know, right. I like, I'm not going to share his name. It doesn't serve anyone for this to become a vengeful thing. But like, she knew she doesn't even work in the same building as him, but she knew just by reputation and what I told her who it was that had misdiagnosed me. And so it's, it's really scary because up until that point, I had been brought up that like, you trust doctors when they tell you something is wrong you trust them when you tell them when they tell you something is not wrong you trust them like they know what they're talking about they went to school and this was the first time that it really hit me over the head that like yeah they're just human and humans have flaws and sometimes they're malicious and sometimes they're not but at the end of the day like this is just a human just like you you miss you make mistakes at your job all the time probably I know I do not all the time if my boss is listening but we all make mistakes in our jobs and doctors are humans and they're gonna do the same thing and we know our bodies better than our doctors ever will yeah I mean I know everybody makes mistakes but then also as a doctor you're dealing with potentially life or death things and this person has obviously developed a reputation. If did you say it was your mom or your mom's friend that was like, oh, it's got to be my mom's. She works at the same healthcare okay. uh, system, like her provider there. That is nuts. Yeah, I mean, have you gone through yeah, was... so much rage about that? I mean, I'm I'm the one I... that tends to just rage all the time. Like I've talked about this before on the podcast. I'm just mad. I'm just constantly mad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I I mean, it sounds like you you have a very healthy look at it, which is, you know, it's not going to serve any good purpose to call this person out or to do, and I'm not, I don't think that you should on this podcast for sure. But I mean, there's, you were dealing with two huge feelings at the same time. You had Mm -hmm. the, this is my fucked up diagnosis. And then also we could have caught this had this person not dismissed me. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk to me about that because my brain is like exploding right now. I had like a lot of anger at first and just this frustration of like, I did what I was supposed to do. Like people avoid the doctor and then they get diagnosed and you're, you know, like, 
like I thought about this a lot when I first got diagnosed and I've had a mindset shift since then, but it's like, you think about cancer and you think about, oh, people lung cancer, they were probably smokers and all of these things. But I was like, I did everything right. I went to all my physicals. I talked about my symptoms. I went to radiology when I was referred, like I wanted something to pin it on. And so for a while I was pinning it on this guy and I had people telling me like pursue litigation against this guy, like medical malpractice. Like, I don't think this was okay. Um, Ultimately, I just decided that like, I'm fighting a different battle right now. Like I just need to get my body in the best shape. And the statute of limitations is like very short for this kind of thing. I think it was like one year or something in California. And a year after my diagnosis, I was in no place to be in court with this. Like, absolutely not. Um, So I ultimately decided that, you know, I had to just make peace with it. This is what happened. I can't go back and change the past, but I can teach people how to advocate for themselves and try and help other women not fall into this same situation because this is one guy, but I'm in a tiny town in NorCal, you know, like there, there are a million of this guy, right? And I'm not going to be able to solve every single one of those problems, but I can help people understand that that problem exists and learn how to advocate for a second opinion, a different doctor, you know, go to a different facility, anything like this that can help you, you know, ultimately I think it's really just taught me to take more into my own hands. Yeah. I, my immediate reaction is like, tell me, tell me about advocacy. Let's go into that right away. But (laughs) before, before we get there, I, I, I really want like a moment to kind of speak to our listeners that have also been diagnosed with stage four. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a really dumb question. Can I ask it? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Is, I should know this. I know that. But is stage four inherently a terminal diagnosis or can they be separate? Like, can you be stage four and it isn't terminal? Yes, It's rare, but um, the vast majority of the time, stage four is terminal. However, there's a a new thing coming up um, called oligometastatic disease, and I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but essentially that says you have like five or fewer distant tumors outside of like breast and axilla. Okay. Um, in two or fewer spots. And there are some doctors who have the belief that if it's that small, we can treat it very aggressively, just like we do for early stage, and then keep you on some sort of maintenance treatment for forever. And there are a lot of people who are living 20, 30, 40 years um, beyond and, and more beyond their oligometastatic um, diagnosis. I am not in that boat. I have like they literally said on my first PET scan, innumerable uh, nets. Um, innumerable. So me, oh, yes. Geez. That's one of those words that I'm sure sticks with you and that you never want to hear in general, let alone again. And I'm sure when people say it, that's that would be a trigger for me. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, I'm not oligometastatic. Um 
I I would urge your listeners to educate themselves and talk to their oncologists and, you know, get second opinions at teaching hospitals about it if, you know, they don't have a, a super high tumor burden. And, you know, I've met a lot of women who were originally told, like, no, we're going to treat this as if it's stage four. And then they went for a second opinion and now they're doing fantastic and haven't had a recurrence in years and years. So, um, yeah, it's it is possible but there it's still very much being researched i'm gonna also do a little bit of research and i'll make sure that we put something in the description below about that because i have not heard of that have you sam awesome um not to that level of detail so i really appreciate that kiara i think that um there's a lot of misinformation i think we all know in the cancer community and especially when you see it on social media um and especially if you're in like the cancer group somebody will be talking about their diagnosis and then somebody will say no that's wrong or how did your doctor tell you that and i think that that's where it becomes kind of like that negative place so i definitely really appreciate that clear and concise explanation kiara yeah absolutely and if you guys want to look it up it's O-L-I-G-O, metastatic. Okay, O-L-I-G-O. You mentioned kind of like your perspective and outlook. Um, How has that changed since all of that? And are you still, I guess, do you still put the blame on the doctor? Or have you completely absolved of that? And you're like, this was a freak one thing? Because I don't know if I could ever get past that. (laughs) (laughs) Truthfully. Well, I will be honest, I do not forgive that man and I don't ever want to see him again, but I don't think it serves me to like keep harboring anger like it's a, I don't forgive and I don't forget, but I'm moving on and just putting it out of my mind. Like before we had this conversation today, I hadn't thought about him for like months and months. I think I'm just kind of in a point where like my, my mindset is just cancer sucks. We don't know why it happens. He's not the reason I got cancer. He's just the reason that it's as advanced as it is. Um, And so that's kind of where my head's at. And I try not to dwell too much on like the why and more just focus on, okay, I know that I've been told that because I'm bone only um, and I'm ERPR positive, I likely have maybe 10 to 15 years versus the standard five for other metastatic um, sites and subtypes. Um, And so my focus has shifted to just how do I make those the best possible years that I can? How do I live to the fullest? That was going to be kind of my my next question you know one thing that i've noticed a lot is really anytime you get any sort of cancer diagnosis breast cancer or otherwise people tend to have this idea in their head that you're going to have this whole new outlook on life you know it's you're you're going to have some sort of insight that you didn't have before and new things are going to be prioritized and all of that you know and i not for me. <laughs> like I know for me, it's like, well, that was bullshit. And let's hope that the bullshit doesn't happen again. But my ass is still getting up and going to work and doing all the things. And, you know, I, I don't even have kids. So people have, you know, sometimes they have kids, and they just got to keep plugging along. And I think that it's kind of, you know, I mean, it, I guess it sort of makes sense just from like a human perspective to think that something like that would happen. Um, but 
what are I guess is what what it's leading into is my question like what are some of the dumb fucking things that people say to you that are super annoying or what do you wish people would say more of or less of because I mean frankly like especially as women and we've talked about this before but people always tend to like make a hierarchy of shit I guess you know like okay like I I didn't have to do chemo right? Because we caught it early. So in my brain, that puts me on a much lower rung than somebody like Sam, for example, you know, who did have to go through chemo. But then, you know, we... we and then I say, stage four, Kiara, you know, you're up right. here. And, I, and I, I think we automatically do that. And I think it is a disservice to all of us because cancer is fucked and it's fucked no matter who mm -hmm. you are or what stage you are. But that being said, do you notice people saying or doing things differently or treating you differently? Or what What do you wish people would say or do or not say or do? That was the longest way to ask a question ever. Yeah, I apologize. I mean, no, but it's, it's good context that you're giving here because I do agree that that hierarchy doesn't serve anyone. And I've noticed in my life, like outside of the cancer community, you know, I've had friends diagnosed with various um, uh, autoimmune diseases since I was diagnosed. And every time they complain about it, it's, it's not as bad as you, but, and I'm like, this can be a two-way street. Like, you know, for instance, you guys are early stage. I never have to know what it feels like to live with that fear of recurrence because I know that it's here for good. And that is an anxiety that I would never want to experience. We all have our own shit. Like it's just like I was saying before, personally or not, like we've all got our own shit going on, whether in the cancer space or otherwise. And so I don't think it helps anyone to do this gymnastics of like, I'm doing worse than they are, or they're doing worse than I am or blah, blah, blah. I, I will say, I think the harder things for me to hear within the community are when there's a lot of advocacy for things that really like I've seen many organizations who they focus so much on the mastectomy and they say that they are all inclusive many if not most metastatic patients don't get mastectomies and so I never feel included in those spaces right um, there are organizations who have stage four support groups, but they're led by an early stager who's doing what they think a stage four person wants to hear. I don't I feel heard get my because toe into that. you are oh living out. I didn't know. I went to one and I never went back because it was, you know, like you're that's that person's survivor's grief. And I think that they're doing a good thing in their mind and that's great, but maybe redirect that towards funds for stage four and things like that. But even then, like I've, you know, it's become trendy in the breast cancer community to raise funds for stage four, but then you see like, okay, early stagers or pre-vivers are the ones deciding which labs the, the money is going to. Well, how you've never experienced this, so you don't know what's going to be the most impactful, right? And so I think just like, nothing about us without us like we should have 
a say. It shouldn't be like, oh, stage four is trendy to talk about and trendy to um, support. So we're going to do it without actually including those of us who experience it. I think those are kind of within the community, the hardest things to hear. Now we're talking outside of the community. I have heard some. I want to hear. I want to hear so Um, I mean, I know we're going into dating a little bit later, but I remember once I went out with this guy who, like, I decided to tell him I had breast cancer. Oh, we were supposed to go on a date and then I got hospitalized because I got an infection. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to just be honest because I don't know. Like, I feel like that's kind of the best way to go about this. And so I told him and his response was, oh. Do you think American women get breast cancer more because their breasts are bigger? And I, I'm an A cup, like a small A cup. Stop and I was it! Like, I don't even know what to respond to this man. Like, it's crazy. And like, I had, you know, I remember telling a very close friend of mine, like, you know, I'm afraid that I'm never gonna meet someone like who's gonna want to date someone like this. And she goes, well. I bet there's a fetish for people I who can't. are into cancer. I can't. I fucking can't. I, yeah. Yeah. And like, these are just some of the things. And like, that's still one of my best friends. Like, we've come past it. But like, the things that you hear. And then, of course, there's like all of the quack cures. Like, I had a former coworker who I know she meant so well. But she spoke to someone who was likely oligometastatic from having spoken to this person. But anyways, she spoke to this person who said she had cured herself of metastatic disease, essentially with positive thinking and uh, vegan food Um, and insisted like this person insisted she had to talk to me to help me cure my cancer. And she, every time I said, well, my cancer's ERPR or my kit, she would be like, it's not your cancer. It's your imbalance. And I was like, I wanted to go with a mining granger on her ass and be like, um, no, fear of the word means fear of the thing itself. Like, let's not. Um, Holy like, shit. Just the things that people try to put on you. Like, I just want to live my life. And like, cancer is going to do what it's going to do. You know, like, it wasn't ideal that in between, like, my dream trip to Banff and speaking at a conference that was on my career bucket list, I had to go through radiation for progression. Like it's not ideal, but you live with it. It happens and you move forward and you, I did both of those things and I was exhausted in Banff and I barely made it through that Vegas trip to speak at that conference, but I did it. You know, like I don't need other people putting their stuff on me. Like I'm going to live how I want to. That is wild. Like, wild. We've talked a bunch yeah. before about dumb shit that people say, but, like, that is a whole new level. You know, like, I, I can... Yeah. A fetish? <laughs> I mean, really? A fetish? That's, oh, I Googled that's a it. There's a fetish for people who are terminally ill, and it's a branch Stop of necrophilia. It. Like, I... Yeah, like, it's, it's thought to be related to necrophilia. I am... Um, like horrified by the things that I have learned because people say this dumb shit to me and I go down a rabbit hole. Because you wouldn't look it up otherwise. It's like giving me secondhand, what is that? Like secondhand embarrassment. Like like when somebody's singing on TV and I just can't watch, you know, and you're doing that. Like, holy shit. 
Yeah. Wow. I thought I heard some dumb stuff. Like, okay, let's 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 change it real quick. What are some good things <laughs> that people have done, or sh- like legit ways that they've shown up in how you actually needed them? Let's let's do that one real quick. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest thing is just like validating this. Like there's no words that you can say that are going to make this better. So just validate that it sucks and sit with me in it. Don't make me feel like I have to soften it for you and I have to adjust my thinking for you. Just be there, you know, just like find space for me to experience what I'm experiencing, you know? Um, so that's the biggest one. I think, you know, my friends in the cancer community too, like I think of Lauren, my best cancer friend, she's further along in her metastatic journey than I am, but she always finds the time and the space to whenever I'm going through something, she's super well-versed in this stuff. Her job is like cancer data analysis. Um, and so she knows this stuff really well and she will always find time no matter what she's going through to sit down and be like, hey, this was my experience with this or I've seen this a lot at work or things like that. But she will never interject like you should feel this way. And in fact, sometimes I'll be like, I know I should feel grateful that it's not this. And she'll go, no, no, no. We don't do this to ourselves. We don't should ourselves. You feel what you need to feel. Or sometimes she'll even call me out and be like, you're being awfully <laughs> positive and I don't think it's genuine. Um, <laughs> That's great. That's and I need great. that. I need that person to tell me like, it's okay to feel shitty about this stuff. And like, I remember when she first had progression, like we were like not as close as we are now, but we were definitely close friends. And I was kind of like, how are you feeling? And she was like, I don't like, I knew it was coming. I had more pain. I like, I had a different kind of scan that like, it made it pretty clear progression was coming. And still I was like, so upset. Like, I don't think that you can ever hear those words and not just be like completely devastated by them. And like, just yeah, that kind of candor has been so helpful and just like being able to call each other out on on things like that and just being able to sit there with each other and, and you know, take in that grief. But if, you know, I have friends who I don't think they're in the place to do that right now, but there's other ways that you can show up, right? Like once I was having um, a really hard time, I had horrific mouth sores when I was on Ibrance. It was like, awful and like it hurt to open my mouth and my friend came over with homemade bone broth um you know those chia puddings and squeeze tubes um jello like all sorts of applesauce like all sorts of very soft foods that I didn't have to ice cream like things I didn't have to open my mouth wide didn't have to chew and then we're both big readers and that's one of the things we connect on and she brought me like magazines and books she thought I would like and all these kinds of things and it was mid-pandemic she didn't stay long it was just like here I thought these things might help you like those are the most special moments that I like I I'm over here tearing up again. Like I don't forget that kind of kindness. That's that sort of thoughtfulness is really rare, I think, too. You know, I mm-hmm. again I've yeah. I've kind of railed on this before when people just say, like, oh, just let me know if you need anything, you know? Like not helpful. Not not fucking helpful. Um 
No, I'm like never I'm gonna, gonna reach out and know. ask. Yeah, you like, for could something? you think of twelve books that would be really that I would personally really like? You know, like you you can't ask for that level of thoughtfulness. But when somebody shows up mm-hmm. with that, you know, like I had a friend that showed up just to help me do my laundry because, like, I talked to her the night before and I was That's just falling and I'm like, my life is such a goddamn mess. I am such a goddamn mess. I can't even look at myself in the mirror. And I was just losing it. And I was like, and the motherfucking laundry is just not getting done. And I was like, all right, I gotta go and just hung up the phone. And the next day she just shows up and she's like, we're going to get your laundry done. And I'm like, oh my God, like just what that does. You feel so seen that somebody is listening. They're actively listening and they do that thing to help you. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of tearing up just thinking about it. It's, it's so nice. It's so helpful. And those are the people that when we say, you know, don't ask necessarily what somebody, I mean, if you're going to the grocery store and you're like, Hey, I'm picking some shit up because I'm on my way over. Like, what are you missing? Sure. Go ahead and ask. But just throwing it out there, like to let me know what you need. It, I just kind of trailed off. Like this is menopause. I had a whole point to this. But- <laughs> no, but I I get where you're going. Like the 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 let me know what you need. Like I'm never going to ask you. I am so bad at asking for help. And then my brain will automatically go oh, well, they're dealing with this other thing and I shouldn't bother them. And, oh, they have kids. I don't have kids. I can't, you know, and like, I'm never going to ask you, but if you come to me and say, hey, I'm going to the grocery store, I can pick up toilet paper if you're missing some and it's the middle of a pandemic and you can't find any. Or if you don't want that, let me come over with um, some ice cream. I know you love this kind or, you know, things like that. like that is the most helpful because I am literally never going yeah, to ask you for I don't, help. The only person I ask for help is David, my fiance, and that even took a I'm, while. Well, speaking of that, Kiara, um, so you just alluded to David, your fiance now, um, kind of being your support system. What, who was your support system maybe before David and or during? Did it change? Um, I know you mentioned your friends as well, but I'm assuming you had some more than that. Yeah. So I was actually living at home when I got diagnosed, um, cruelty of the world. I was living at home trying to save my, no, not cruel that I had to live at home, but I was living at home trying to save money That's to buy a house. That's you were going with. And right. Then, like- Good save. Good save. <laughs> I was trying to save money to buy a house and it was like, within weeks of earning enough where I felt like I had a down payment I got diagnosed and so then it's like okay well I'm not gonna buy a house now um that was what I meant with the whole cruelty thing um but yeah so I lived at home with both of my parents and they were great but I think it's so hard for a parent to watch their kid go through that and they were going through their own grief and uh not always fantastic at keeping it from me and keeping their expectations for me away. And so it was always sort of a difficult thing. Like I didn't, I think therapy was the only place where I felt like I could truly talk about everything that I was feeling because like, you know, each time progression news comes, it hits different, but 
I do feel like to a certain degree, I've accepted the mortality of it. My family has not. And so I didn't feel like I was in a safe space to be able to talk about the reality of the disease. I would say something like, well, I've stopped contributing to my 401k because what's the point? And it's like, why would you stop that? You're so young. You need to be contributing to your 401k. It's like, because that's, that's money so I can't touch and I need it now, you know? That's so hard. Because they're picturing you as an 80-year-old, you know, outliving them still. And and in your head, you're like, that is not the reality, parents. And I think that's one of the hardest concepts for parents to, to grasp is when their child, mm-hmm. you know, is impending death before them. That's a really difficult thing to grasp. And I don't think anybody wants to yeah. think about that. No, and I don't blame them for reacting how they did. But when that was my main support system, it was really, really oh, difficult. It. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would feel like I would have to be fake around them or something, you know, just so I didn't get a raised reaction. Yeah, I was constantly tiptoeing around my feelings. And if anything accidentally came up, it was like, well, you have to think positive. They've done studies. Positive thinking can change outcomes. And like, to a degree, yes, if you like believe that you're going to die in a week and you stop taking your chemo, maybe you will. But like, it's not going to cure me fuck me man i i i'm putting myself in the position of a parent right now and i don't know why that's where my brain goes to you would think that automatically i would like relate more since we've both been diagnosed with cancer i guess but i you guys both need something so opposite from what the other person can give you know like your parents are probably just Mm -hmm. needing to hear that you're gonna be okay in in the long run i mean you're, you said three and a half years out from your diagnosis, right? But yeah, I was diagnosed in September of 2020. Okay. okay. But yeah, like they're probably just needing to hear like my kid's going to be okay. And you're needing mm-hmm. completely different things from them. And so that had to have been so hard being in the same house. Like my parents were across the country, like they are divorced. They are in Michigan. And that's, that's where all of that mess was, you know? Um, and it was it was so nice having them come out and visit, but it was a visit, you know? And the only person, mm-hmm. I think, in retrospect that I was so completely real with who knew, you know, I couldn't put on a fake, brave, happy face with him just because he knows everything about me was my husband, you know? And it's not like my parents don't know me well, but um, I, I, I just can't imagine everybody living in the same house with that level of news and watching everybody go through their own stages of grief and their own expectations and their own emoting, as my mom calls it, (laughs) just letting all the emotions out, emoting. That had to have been, I I don't want to say toxic. I don't think that's what that is, but just not, not what you need at the time. Not conducive to your situation. (laughs) And I don't want to sound like I'm talking no. shit on them either. Like, no, 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 it, no, no, no. it's not their fault. They were doing their best. But it's just, like, the needs were so opposite that it was yeah. hard to reconcile. Oh, I don't think no, you were at all. That and that's why I said, as as a parent, even though I'm not, I can only imagine they, they – 
they cannot imagine their child not outliving them. I don't think any parent can, you know, until that is a reality. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you were still in the house every day, I don't think they were able to come to terms with it. Maybe if you were in the hospital every day, I think maybe that could have been different, but because you were in the house and you were their baby girl, you were still there. I totally get their, you know, mental perspective on that. And you were just like, well, and that's but I am another... sick. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm trying to be okay with it. <laughs> well, and that's another tricky part of just being metastatic in general is like, I haven't lost my hair yet. Eventually I will have to go through chemos where I'll lose my hair, but like I've gained weight rather than lost it. I haven't lost my hair. Like I don't look sick. And so that like for my parents and others is hard to reconcile to the point that sometimes I feel like people think that I'm faking what I'm going through because I don't look like a typical cancer patient. Right. And they like, this is a very long story and a tangent, but I'll just give the short story of it was like, um, I was interviewed on today.com and the daily mail picked up the story because the today story was going really well. So of course the daily mail would pick it up because they're like garbage (laughs) bin news. And, um, they, they like, the comments on there where people were like, no doctor would ever say you had 10 years to live and that's not terminal. And look at her. She looks fine. And like all of the comments, like I had to just stop looking at it. And like, just, I had a Google alert for my name because a bunch of publications were picking up the story and I had to turn it off and just be like, I don't want other people's opinions. Like I connected with this journalist who wanted to tell this story and she did a brilliant job of helping me tell that story. And that is what I care about, not other people's opinions, because it's really hard to look like this and then convince people that, like, no, I'm actually really sick. Good Lord. I mean, the- <laughs> we all know about trolls on the Internet, but first of all, when it happens to you, that's got to be like, I'm just I'm just with day that some lights one of us up. <laughs> uh, I hope it doesn't. Right. Well, and it's such a thing too. Like, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but I don't know if you guys listen to Scamanda, that podcast about the woman faking cancer. I have heard um, of that. Yeah. Excellent podcast. Um, it I really enjoyed it, but it was so difficult to hear too, because you're interviewing the people who she scammed out of money for GoFundMe's and things like that. And they were all like, well, she looked so healthy. She had color in her cheeks. She still had hair. All of these things that you could say of me too. And I don't have a GoFundMe up. So I'm like, there's, I I don't know what my motivation would be for like faking it. Um, So that's kind of just what I tell myself that like people probably don't think I'm faking it because I don't, you know, um, But it's such a difficult thing of like, how do we call out these people who are actively hurting our community by faking this while also having people in the community who aren't going to look like a typical cancer patient and might look like, quote unquote, they're faking it, but aren't like it's it's been a weird thing to reconcile. Anyways, I took this way, way off topic, but it came to mind. This is where my joy happens. Um, (laughs) not, not joy in the story necessarily, because that's, that's fucked. No Um, but Good Lord. Well, I, Sam, you were going in the direction that I loved. You were talking about David a little bit. Yes. 
Yes, that's just where I was going to pivot to. Again, I was going to say we started off the tangent with David and I would like to circle back to your kind of experience because you started dating him after your diagnosis, correct? So how did you meet? How did the relationship flourish? How were you like, oh, yes, absolutely. I'll be engaged to you. You are my rock. How did that all happen? Yeah, so um, we met through one of my best friends since, gosh, we met in grade seven um, and are still friends. Um, and she got married in 2021, 22. I don't remember now. Um, but I was part of like the bachelorette party and I actually planned the bachelorette party and like all that kind of stuff. And she has always been very like she has more guy friends than girlfriends. And so David was um, one of those guy friends. She works on a lung transplant unit at a hospital um, and David works with her there. Um, He's a they're both nurses um, on lung transplant floors. And so um, we met, actually, the first time we met was she was like, hey, there's this guy. We were planning to go to Pinnacles National Park, which is like pretty close to us, like easy day trip. Um, And she was like, hey, there's this guy that I work with. Like, he loves going to national parks, too. Like, do you mind if I bring him? He's going to be at the Bachelorette. So, like, would be great for you guys to meet. And so we went, the three of us, to Pinnacles. And, like, that was the first time we met. And we talked a little bit off and on, but then didn't start really talking until, like, a couple months later at the Bachelorette party um, where, yeah, we were kind of talking nonstop um, and for a while we were um just texting and then started spending like every weekend together but it was always like as friends and we could always have like conversations with each other that I didn't feel like I could have with anybody else um and like he understood things to a degree that like I didn't feel like anyone else in my life could. And like, I remember one day talking to him about kind of, you know, the terminal nature of my illness um, and things like that. And um, uh, yeah, he um, he responded with like one of the sweetest texts ever that kind of made me be like, okay, I love this man. Like he said something along the lines of, you know what, being a nurse for so long has taught me that just because you live a long time doesn't mean you're happy. And um, he said something along the lines of like, you know, I just want to be there. Like you live more life than most people, you know, who are three times your age and you know I'm I'm totally butchering the sentiment because it's been a while since I've looked at that text but essentially along the lines of like you are not your disease and you are living your life to the fullest and things like that and then from there you know I definitely like had a thing for him but I was also like I don't have any friends that I can be this honest with I don't want to rock the boat like I felt like I needed that support more so than I needed like a date um but always in the back of my mind like oh if he dates someone I'm probably going to be devastated um and yeah then one day he just confessed that he had feelings for me and um we started dating and it's been fantastic and then 
yeah, I mean, things were really great for like a little over a year. And then we had planned, like we're crazy people. We love to travel and we plan everything ridiculously far in advance. So in October of 22, we planned a trip to Acadia National Park in Maine for October of 23. Um, And when we were there, he uh, surprised me with a photographer and proposed on like a cliff in the national park. And it was like, just the stuff of dreams. And yeah, now we're getting married in October. Well done. You're gonna have to send me a picture, Kira. I love that he had a photographer there. I want to see this. What I will. Idea. What has I will like has sure. he confessed any struggles in his mind with your diagnosis? Like I, I assume because you said that you were able to talk to him in a way that you haven't been able to talk to anybody else. Really, I'm sure that you guys have talked about this. But what has he struggled with? I'm kind of thinking like for our listeners that are in similar you know, positions as you, what, what have you gotten from him? Yeah. So we've had to have a lot of really intentional communication since the start of our relationship, because there's a lot of stuff, like when a lot of health stuff is happening, it's like all I can talk about. And then he gets really bogged down in this like negative mindset. And so He's in therapy, I'm in therapy, separate therapists, everything because, and like now that we live together, like, you know, he'll have therapy in the house. I just put on noise canceling headphones, put a podcast on, like he deserves that privacy to talk about whatever he wants to do with my disease without me listening and him fearing that he's going to hurt my feelings. Like that has been really huge. But um, another thing was like, you know, when I'm talking about this stuff nonstop, he gets really into kind of a downward spiral and a really negative mindset that doesn't serve either of us. And so we've started when that happens, we'll do like weekly or biweekly check-ins where like cancer is not part of the conversation unless something urgent happens. Obviously cancer is not part of the conversation, but we have this scheduled time carved out on both of our calendars. Here's where we're going to sit down and talk about like fears and the things that are coming. And that way, like he can support me without it being our entire relationship and like the only thing on his mind. And that's that worked brilliant. really well for us. Um, you know, I think, yeah, that was suggested by his therapist um, and it's <laughs> worked pretty well. And we have all sorts of weird things like that too, right? Like we have our check-ins, but then we'll also like when scan day is coming around and he happens to be work, like usually I'll get my scan results same day. And so when he happens to be working on a day that I have a scan, we'll sit down the night before and say like, okay, how do you want to be told? And it's different every time, even though like his job has stayed the same, but how do you want to be told the news? If it's good, what do you want me to do? If it's bad, what do you want me to do? And like, what time do you want it to happen? And then once he was like, okay, well, maybe you could just wait until I get off work. And I'm, I'll be like, David, what if I get the results at 9am and you don't get off until 715? Like, that's a long time for me to sit and stew with it. And he's like, okay, so I'll make sure that like on my lunch break, I call you and see if we get any up to, and like, we can kind of talk through like a way that makes it work for both of us so that I'm not just like dumping news on him in the middle of his, like he has a stressful job. Like he's dealing with lung transplant patients. He sees a lot of death at work, you know, like I can't just be dumping things on him while he's there, but I also need that support. And so we've had to kind of like, over communicate almost to make sure that we get the support that we need um 
And yeah, I don't think he's told me the full extent of like the fears he has for when I'm not here. I think it's more just like, okay, we're going to live life to the fullest and just do as much as we can while I'm here and while I'm feeling well and to the best of, you know, my physical ability with whatever I'm going through. But yeah, I, I don't honestly, know if that again, answers this your question. Menopause. I I don't remember the exact question, but I love everything that you just said. And I think that that's a really, really good idea, regardless of what stage you're in. And honestly, regardless of whether or not you have cancer, like I'm obsessed with his therapist's idea of having these check-ins. So you can live your everyday life. And if something's kind of eating at you, you can say, you know what, we're going to deal with that in three days at our check-in. And it doesn't consume you. That's right. fascinating. I love that. Right. And in the meantime, I have my therapist who I can always talk to when, because like bottling things up is not healthy. We all know this, right? But in the meantime, I've got a therapist I can talk to if like, you know, it's not time for a check-in. David's really overwhelmed. I need to talk to, to someone. My therapist will always make room on her schedule for me. Um, and, you know, I've got cancer friends who can understand this and it's just not as dark especially when I'm talking to stage four people, it's not as dark to talk about death with them as it is to talk about uh, like about it to someone who doesn't like live with that looming over them. And so there's, there's a lot of different like avenues I have, but I think when like, I want to protect this relationship, I don't want cancer to be the downfall. And so the only way we've found that works is just being like mega intentional with when, how, where, all of the specifics around how we talk about it. Wow. Yeah, me too. That, yeah. And I, I think that's a perfect segue into kind of, so what are your plans, goals, hopes for the future individually and you and David together? And how do you balance that? Is that different for the two of you? Because you alluded to sometimes you process things differently. So I would assume in the future aspect, maybe one of you is over here and the other one's over here. Well, I think being with a nurse is really helpful because he understands like the reality of like what death looks like and things like that. And so like where I think some people would struggle with the idea of like coming off of treatment, like he's fully for it if if it feels like the right thing for me, like, obviously he's not going to pull me off treatment if I'm not, but like, if it's to a point where I'm in the hospital more than I'm out and I don't have a quality of life, he understands how important it is to know when to pull that trigger. And so that's really helpful. But I think in terms of like goals, travel is a really, really big one for us. So we're trying to see all 63 national parks in the U S um, think we've only seen yeah wow, um, that's exciting actually that's a good goal <laughs> thank you yeah it's really fun we're both really outdoorsy and it gets us to places that we would like never otherwise go um that have been stuff like Maine why would I like I'd never mm-hmm. thought about going to Maine and it's like one of my favorite places I've been it was insanely pretty um so yeah and I hot tip for anyone who's metastatic you are considered permanently disabled for the uh U.S. government which means you can get a silver lifetime linings bitch um so linings yes yes (laughs) 
So we go to the parks for free. I mean, it doesn't cost much to go to a park. Otherwise, it's like fifteen dollars we'll, we'll a day free. for parking or something. But um, <laughs> take the freebies where you can get them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're trying to see all of the national parks. Obviously, we want to get married. Um, so we have our wedding planned in October of twenty four, um, which I'm super pumped about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think we just. Like, we want to make as many good memories as we can. Like, I'm trying not to be too prescriptive about what exactly we want to do because I've seen how much things can just change on a dime. And so I don't think it's a great thing for me mentally to be like, I need to do this thing and then maybe I won't be able to do this thing. Um, And so like national parks, for example, are a really great thing where like they're some of the most accessible in terms of disability, like some of the most accessible lands in the country um, in terms of being able to be outdoors. There's tons of accessible like um, parking lot pullouts where you can go see just insane views. There's tons of paved trails. There's, you know, all these things. So we think about like David and I will talk about, okay, well, if you're not well enough to hike, we can get one of those wheelchairs with the big fat tires and I'll push you around oh. and, you know, get the power ones. I was, I was just thinking like, yeah. those, um, <laughs> like the automatic bikes that are out there now. Like how much fun would that be? That way you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You, the Ooh, yeah. The electric. Um, oh God. I fell off one of those in Mexico okay, recently. So I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> They're harder than they look. Something I would do. I am so That's clumsy. Funny. I'm or I'm clumsy. just really uncoordinated. My husband's always like, why are you covered in bruises? I like but- hit a bump that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, just bruises. Head to toe. Oh, Sam. Yeah. I like hit a bump I wasn't expecting, and the throttle is on the handle, and so I went like this oh, and honey just bear. straight over the handlebars. <laughs> That's <laughs> right the worst the way to go off of a bike is is uh, yeah. over the handlebars. Thankfully, um, so. I was on a beach, some soft sand, but yeah, it was. I'm it was sorry, not I'm only great. laughing because I can absolutely 100 um, percent picture myself <laughs> doing the exact same. Oh no! Thing. Feel free to laugh. It. it was ridiculous. Um, you said something earlier that has been like kind of sticking in my mind. Um, talking about how it was, it was when like early stage diagnosis people, like the, the whole trendy thing that you were talking about with um, like focusing on stage four and, you know, people like, you know, myself or maybe Sam, like, you know, running like a support group for stage four or something like that, you know, what would you, suggest that people do that would be helpful is there like a specific nonprofit? is there some place that they should be spending their time attention and money on and before you answer like i have this thought you know i uh, maybe people will agree with me maybe they won't <laughs> that's fine this is some i don't believe it should be political but it, you know it is um but talking about you know when men have opinions on what women do with their bodies. Um, I feel like if you don't, Mm -hmm. then you shouldn't, you know, you don't have our body, so you shouldn't have much of an opinion. And I know not everybody agrees with me. Maybe not everybody on this podcast today agrees with me. I don't know. But that's what was triggered in my mind when you were kind of saying like, you know, these people that don't necessarily understand they don't live the life that we live they're they're trying to 
set up maybe nonprofits or they're trying to get involved in certain ways that are just not really helpful. That's kind of where my brain went with that. A, what are your thoughts on that? And B, where where would you have people that don't live your life and don't live a life with a stage four diagnosis? What would you have them do? What would be helpful? Absolutely. So first of all, completely agree with you. I, I And I also want to make the point that like, I am one person, like stage four people are not a monolith. I don't speak for all of us. There are plenty of people who just want to be angry and that's totally valid. Like I've chosen that it doesn't serve me, but for some people it really serves them, you know? And so I think that's the first thing to remember is that like, you know, you're going to have survivor's grief and it's going to be difficult to hear about these stage four stories, but you can't lump all of stage four together. Um, even like triple negative stage four is going to be different than like yeah. uh, hormone positive, et cetera. So with that aside, um, I do think there are still ways that you can support stage four in a very healthy way. So the first thing I'll say is I always, always recommend giving to Metaviver. 100% of donations given to Metaviver go directly to stage four research, and it is all research focused on a cure or treatments to prolong our lives. It's not focused around um, screenings. It's not focused around anything other than helping metastatic disease. So that's a great nonprofit. If you want to help something that's a little bit more um, caters to both, uh, BCRF, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, is the largest um, supporter of metastatic research or the largest private supporter of metastatic research uh, financial-wise just because they're so big. Um, I think they're also a fantastic organization to donate to. But Megan, you brought up like, you know, I'm a, an early stager trying to set up a stage four support group. I think there's still a way to do that in a positive way, right? right? But you can't be the facilitator. You like if you want to create this space, you see that there is a gap in this community and you think that, hey, this support group really helped me. I want to set up something similar. Great. Talk to your stage four friend about if they would want to be a facilitator or if you don't have anyone who could be a facilitator, bring in a paid somebody. You know, they have social workers or therapists or what have you who can be mediators or not mediators, um, facilitators of support groups who are trained professionals who know how to do this and won't be coming from a place of survivor's guilt. So I don't want anyone listening to think like, oh, I'm early stage. I can't help stage four. No, you can but center us in the conversation, not those with like, not your survivor's guilt or the grief that you're feeling or the fear that you have about right. maybe being what in this position one? one day. What was the first one? Metaviver? Was it Metaviver with an R? Okay. Okay. Metaviver. Um, again, that's yes. the Midwest. Yeah. We go real hard mm -hmm. on the R's. <laughs> Metaviver. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to link. Yeah. It's like metastatic survivor. Love it. Like, Love uh, it. Um, Conjunction, I think is the word, is it? Conjunction. Yeah. Great yes. school. Yes, Coming back you. to me. Um, yes. <laughs> I still love it. Schoolhouse Rock. I love it. Um, yes. Shit, I had another question too. I'm going to put all of that in the description um, for everybody. Oh, this is what I was going to ask. It's a little bit awesome. off the wall, but where, again, kind of a two-parter. And I thought of this when you were talking about like, it's so much easier to talk to your stage four friends about this and it's not nearly as dark. And, you know, I, my brain of course automatically goes only to what I know, which is 
I'll be laughing sometimes at the office and I, somebody the other day was like, what are you laughing at? And I showed them the cancer patient Instagram account and they were like, that's fucked up. And they just like walked away. They didn't understand it. Now I'm like wiping tears. I'm laughing so hard. I'm like snorting. And I think it's just so interesting the way that the human brain can, um, you know, it just takes horrible situations and you're able to make fun or light um, kind of out of it. And so that kind of led into my question, where do you, where are you finding, this is such a weird way of asking, but where are you finding your friends? <laughs> like, where do you find, how do you connect? Because you were going through, um, where you were diagnosed around COVID, so was I, so was Sam. Um, and mm -hmm. finding people to talk to, I didn't have many, like I had one friend that I knew that had been diagnosed years before. Um, and we only met through a friend of a friend of a friend, but where for our listeners, is there like a specific Facebook group? Is there, um, any sort of specific place that you've met a lot of your friends or how would you suggest to them? Because there is that continuity when you can have a, a different sense of humor with, certain people, you know, like Sam and I will talk about the cancer patient and we'll laugh about that where the people at my office think I'm fucked, you know, <laughs> that that's a terrible thing to laugh at. Oh, oh, how could you say that? I'm yeah. like, we have cancer. What do you mean? I like I lived it. Right. I'll never forget the first time I told a cancer joke. Um, I was telling someone on a, a Zoom call uh, that I was eligible for the COVID vaccine, like on the earlier side. And uh, she was like, but aren't you scared to get it so early? And I was like, what's it going to do? Give me terminal cancer. And like, I thought it was funny. She did not at all. That's a good one. Perfect time um, too. Just <laughs> I definitely can relate to that. Um, it's definitely been trial and error finding friends. I will say um, one org that I'm always super stoked to plug is ABCD after breast cancer diagnosis. Um, they match mentors with someone in a similar breast cancer situation to them. And that's how I met Lauren. And so we're no longer like mentor mentee. We're just friends. Um, she's like, one of the best humans that I know, but they even match caregivers. So David has a mentor oh. through ABCD. Um, and that's been like huge for him because now he like, it's not just, you know, venting to his friends. He's got someone who gets it. And that's like mega huge. I know that's I'm not a, what you asked, but I, they're amazing. I'm, so no, we'll have to be Googling that, that as too. soon as we get off of that's this recording. Great. Like, yeah. honestly, I, I love that. Yeah, they're amazing, truly. And like, I went to them, like, I want someone young. I don't want someone with kids. I can't relate. Like, sorry, people with like, <laughs> your kids are fantastic. It's just our priorities are different. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to like trash anybody. But yeah, that's um, so that was a big one. I think Instagram as well, just kind of like, following hashtags, seeing whose posts you resonate with, and then just getting the balls up to send them a dm and be like hey i'm going through this like want to yeah. be friends and it's awkward until it's not you know it's awkward until you find what you connect on and and for lauren and i like that's not always cancer it's like traveling and being outdoors and i like the first thing that we really connected on was we had such a similar mindset 
with cancer. And I think that's like a really huge thing. Like I have early stage friends who have such a similar mindset that like, yeah, I can talk to them the same way I talk to stage four gals, but it's not always that way. No, and I, you know, so I love them. I'm rambling, but um, I'm I writing them Instagram... down. If you see my eyes moving, I'm writing them down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> No, all good. All good. Um, yeah. So Instagram's huge. ABCD is huge. Um, there's also, there are support groups out there. I haven't found the one that feels like great for me, but they do exist. Um, I would honestly go talk to the social workers at your cancer center. Like they're supposed to know about this stuff, right? Like that's kind of their job. And a lot of them don't know about the AYA specific orgs and you've got to do the research yourself, right? But once you start finding a community, then you hear about send it from one person and, oh, you meet friends on a send it trip and then they'll tell you about Dear Jack Foundation and then you can go on your lifeless trip with Dear Jack Foundation. You know, like you just kind of, as you go, you find great people. And I think it's also a matter of putting yourself out there. Like I find when people DM me on Instagram, I always try to respond. But when people are really vulnerable with me and don't treat me like a zoo animal, that also helps me want to be more vulnerable with them and that I think really can form a connection obviously like you got to walk the line of not trauma dumping on people as well um so it's a it is a fine line but well we get that's to trauma what cancer friendships are but like you. yeah don't <laughs> just maybe don't open your dms with that but like you know hey i'm stage four i really liked what you were posting about this would you be open to having a conversation um things like that but there are tons of mentorship orgs out there who can help you there's i know ysc um the young survival coalition has metastatic groups um immerman's angels will match you with people in a similar life stage they didn't have anyone super young when i went through the process but that was a very very long time ago and I'm sure that things have changed. And then just get involved. I mean, all of the time, like our social media manager and like creative director at Be Present will message me like, hey, we just got this message on our Instagram. Like, would you want to talk to them or do you have anywhere like you can direct them to? Like everyone wants to help. So find the great AYA specific orgs like YSC, Dear Jack Foundation, all of Be Present, like all of these wonderful organizations that are focused on young people and just like put yourself out there and ask for help. They're going to help you find perfect. your people. I, like I said, I'm going to be re-listening to this and writing down everything really fast. And I will have, for all of our listeners, I'm going to have the links to these <laughs> in the description. Um, so we usually try to keep it at about an hour. I honestly, I have questions for days for you. So I really. <laughs> I mean, I've got as much time say... as you need. But... <laughs> I would love to have a Kiara series. Like I'm already just obsessed with you. You're so you're so goddamn cute. I love you. Um, so I you know I guess to wrap it up since we just have to. But what what else? Because you've already given us so many really really good ideas. Um, what else would you like to say to any of our listeners that are in a similar situation as you? They have you know stage four or they're dating or they're you know and any of that but 
from this episode, if you had like a loudest message for everybody, what, what would that be? I'm putting you on the spot. Um, I think my biggest thing is like, you know, until you're actively dying, you're still living. And so go live, go do what you want to do. Maybe on your bucket list was climbing Everest and that's not in the cards anymore. Find a different mountain to climb and, and make that your goal, right? Like I had, I was running Spartans before I got diagnosed with cancer. That is absolutely not in the cards for me anymore. But I started making goals of like, I want to hit X amount of calories burned in a 45 minute workout. And like, just hitting those goals feels freaking good even if it's not the original goal that you had so like as long as you're still here and as long as you're still able keep living and keep chasing the things that bring you joy and don't let cancer get in the way of it and yeah that was beautiful thank you thank you (laughs) that really was and for those that cannot do mount everest come out to colorado we got a bunch of 14ers they're lovely have you been out here to these? I have. Rocky Mountain National Park is one of my faves. I didn't even know I was signing up for it. And then I moved out here and I'm like, this is nuts. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Incredible. Oh, all right. Well, Kiara, thank you so much. Um, of course. Sam and I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I cannot wait to have you on again. And again, for our listeners, we will be having um, Be Present come on. Um, some people from Be Present, and we're going to try to do some collaborations in some way just to kind of get get it out there that this is something that exists. Um, so again, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Sam, anything before we go? No, thank you, Kiara. And just uh, to all of our listeners, you know, make sure you keep your tits up. <laughs> it's tough. Keep them up, ladies. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Tits Up. We'll be back next week, Thursday, and every Thursday after that. Quick reminder again about how you can support the podcast and help us grow this vibrant community that we are creating. First, whether you are listening to the show or watching us on YouTube, please click the subscribe button and leave us a review. Also, send the show to a friend or a specific episode that you really enjoyed. Second, please follow us on all of our social media platforms. All links are below in the description. Or if you are an elder millennial like myself and you would like to call us and leave a voicemail, you can reach us at 720-892-6669. We want to know if you would like to be a guest on the show or if you have ideas for upcoming episodes, thoughts, comments, concerns regarding past episodes, We would love to hear from you. This podcast is for all of us, and we cannot do this without you. Also, please remember, we are not medical professionals, and we are never giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different, and just because we did something one way does not necessarily mean that that's how you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor. Everyone take care, and until next time, tits up.